It's a blessing to see you guys again and be here with you, and uh, I'm excited to share what the Lord has shared with me, I hope. Uh, This morning, again, we're going to be in Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 9, and hopefully we'll get through uh, 17 verses, but uh, the title of today's message is God Blessed, God Blessed, and not God Bless You, no one sneezes, I don't think, but uh, sincerely, we've seen a lot of things, we've seen God judge, we've seen uh, God create, and this morning, I hope we'll see that God again, blesses uh, people, uh, specifically to Noah and his family. If you remember, uh, last week we saw that the flood was over, that plants had begun to regrow, you know, the dove came back and had the olive branch. Uh, but they were finally out of the ark. I don't know, you go on a long road trip, we went to North Carolina uh, recently, and uh, we had a lot of stops, so I didn't know that I ever got out and felt like, Ugh! you know, when you get out on a long road trip, you have to stop for a while, and you got to stretch, and legs don't work right. You know, I bet you they had that sort of feeling when they got out. They got to stretch and get out. Um, and there were no taxes to pay. There was no real there to see. They could just live wherever they wanted. Uh, but we saw about how they sent out a raven, possibly corporately, but they, Noah sent out his own dove and how it was important to have that personal confirmation of things from the Lord. Uh, and then we saw at the very end that Noah made an offering and that God purposed in himself yet to never flood the earth again. Uh, that we see the Trinity there, again, having this conversation in a sense with himself, um, God himself uh, doing, determining his purpose. But Noah didn't quite know that yet. Noah had just gotten out of the boat. Noah had just, you know, said, okay, well, I guess this is it. And they hadn't yet really heard from the Lord what the next step was, what the next venture would be, what the next yeah. purpose would be. Um, but I don't know, I want to set up the scene a little bit. More than that. You know, after it rains, you know, there's that smell, right? It smells fresh a lot of times in the spring, you know, whether it's ozone, whether it's dirt that's picked up, or, you know, I've even read that it can be like mold, you know, I don't know what it is, but I think a lot of times it's a fresh smell, the smell of ozone. Um, but I enjoy the rain. I enjoy that. Uh, you know, I don't enjoy a cold November rain, so to speak, but I enjoy a nice spring rain or a summer rain. Um, again, you know, in the south, when it would be the winter, it would just rain and ice and just that I don't like. <laughs> don't sign me up for that. You know, give me snow or give me rain, but don't give me anything in between. Um, uh, and as I say, I'll probably have awful winter. But after a hurricane, I think it's a little bit different. Because after a hurricane, it's very peaceful. But when you look around, you know, maybe you see footage on the news. It's peaceful. The sun is shining. Birds are tripping. But there's destruction everywhere. There's houses that are knocked over. There's people without power. Um, but I don't think it was so with the flood. I think with the flood, it was so catastrophic, in fact, that Noah was, that everything was washed away. You know, I don't know what kind of technology they had beforehand. I don't know what they were building things out of yet. Um, but it was all washed away, and it was buried in mud. You know, we see the fossil record. We see whole creatures, families of creatures, entire beings, stuff still in their stomach, buried in mud and fossilized right away. That doesn't happen over a short period of time. That happens from cataclysmic uh, events, and we can see that on the highest mountain peak. So we see that this happened, that this wasn't over a long period of time. But everything was washed away. Washed away. I think God wanted to wash away any remembrance of that. He wanted to wash away any remembrance of the, the land that was there before. You know, I, I think topographically things were different, as we'll see later, uh, the earth gets divided. I think God wanted to wipe away every memory of that, that this would be truly a fresh and green new start. I think, you know, uh, that goes along with what God would have for us in 1 John 1, 9. We know this verse. It says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive give us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I know we know that. We probably could say that ad nauseum, probably even backwards. But it's true that he wants to forgive us and cleanse us, that there's no remnant of there anymore. You may still feel like a failure. You may still feel like an alcoholic. But God says, you're, you're not. You're not. That's gone. Wiped away. I don't see that anymore. You stop seeing that in you because it's not there anymore. It's not who you are anymore. And I think sometimes, especially after we felt like God's hand of discipline or God's hand of judgment, maybe in our life, or maybe it's just even the consequence of our sins, um, you know, that, that we feel that way. That even though it's been taken care of, even though we've gone through uh, the detention, so to speak, or whatever it is, that maybe that still burdens us. Maybe that's still on us. And I don't think that God would have that for you. I know you wouldn't. Um, you know, because are you afraid that, they've run, that they haven't run their course yet, that the punishment wasn't enough? Um, you know, do you feel burdened after it? Or 
you afraid that it's going to happen again? You know, Noah came out of the boat. He didn't yet know what was next. He just knew that, hey, God judged the whole earth. It's possible. You know, in Noah's mind to think, okay, uh, you know, I better not screw up again. <laughs> you know, how soon would the next flood happen? You know, I think of my dog, Jessie, when we had her. Uh, when we first got her, we tried to play fetch with her, and we go to, like, raise the stick, and she would cower in fear and be like, no, 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 sweetheart, come here, no, no, we just want to play with you. And eventually she learned that, you know, whatever experience she had before, that was not the experience she was going to have now. It was a new home, a new family, a new yard, um, you know, and you just feed her too much. And <laughs> leave her, my mom would leave her outside, but we still loved her. We wouldn't feed her, we loved her. But if you've allowed God to forgive your sin, I mean that, allow it. Thank God, you can forgive it. You know, a lot of times we struggle, oh, I haven't forgiven myself. Well, you don't need to forgive yourself. God is enough to forgive you. But you don't need to cower after that. After God has forgiven you, you don't need to sit there and cower like he's going to beat you over the head again. It's gone. It's done with. It's like it didn't happen. And I try hard, and I'm sure I'm nowhere near perfect on this, but with my kids, if I had to discipline them, that I let them know I love them afterwards, that I don't bring it up again, that I don't tell others about what just happened, that you know, I treat them the same as I would as if it never happened uh, after the discipline has been carried out, after they've repented or seen that there's a consequence to it. Because I want them to know that there's consequence to sin, but I don't want them to live under the burden of sin or think that their dad would think of them any differently, because I don't. I love them no matter what. Mommy, be right back, buddy. But Jeremiah 29, 11, I know we, we know this verse a lot, but God says, For I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and hope. And I know we know that part, and I think maybe we forget what goes after it. He says, Then you will call on me, and you will go and pray to me. That This is all the encourage people to pray and seek him. And he says, I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when, I, when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you for the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to a place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. That, God doesn't want that to remain. God doesn't want the captivity to remain. God says, in the midst of your captivity, I'm giving you a promise. In the midst of your discipline, I'm promising you that I don't want this to be forever. That I don't want you to come out of that. And I think that when we're in the midst of discipline or hard times, when God will promise us things about the future, God will remind us that he has plans for us. That is calling and election can't be taken away from us. You know, maybe it won't look the same, like I said, uh, in other messages, but God wants to give us that promise because that promise gives us hope. And that hope leads us to turn to him. Because if we felt like he was never going to give us anything in the future, maybe we wouldn't turn to him. Maybe we'd still believe in him and trust him, maybe go about our lives fishing like Peter, but maybe, maybe we wouldn't seek him like we should because we would think, well, why would I seek him? He doesn't want to see me. That's not the case. It's not the case with God. You know, because God does not want any curse to remain. You know, uh, Exodus and Numbers talk about, God says, I, the Lord, your God, in, in Exodus 25 and 6, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. God says, I want to show you mercy, but if you hate me, I can't do anything about that. If you hate me and don't want what I have for you, I can't fix that. I can't, I can't bless that. I want to bless it, but if, if you're unwilling to open your wallet, so to speak, and take my 20 bucks, I can't help it if you're hungry. I'm trying to give you 20 bucks. You know, there's those comics about people on the rooftop in the flood, and, uh, you know, they're like, God, help me. And then a guy shows up with a canoe, and they're like, no, I'm waiting on God. And then a guy shows up in a boat, and then a guy shows up in a helicopter, and it's like, this, you know, you can't be rescued if we don't allow him to. But this also shows that our sins can have consequences consequence on us and our children. You know that if a father sins, his family is going to reap the repercussions of that, sometimes more so than him in a way. Um, we, we all know that, whether it's divorce or alcoholism, whether it's abuse, whether it's just a dad being a workaholic because he's trying to do the right thing, but he's not really doing it in the right way, uh, a way that it's being lazy or whatever else the case. And I think, man, if I restructured my day, I might have more time with my kids. And it's almost like, I'm, it's like every decision I have affects my family. But God doesn't want those things to remain. You know, why? Because he wants to bless. And he doesn't, he's not about punishing offspring for what their parents have done. God, you know, it's our parents' sin is not our sin. If we haven't come to God, we may still bear the fruits of that in our life. 
Uh, we may, you know, our parents may have been alcoholic and maybe we pick up those habits and become alcoholic. Our parents may have been abusive in their relationship and we continue those habits because we're like our parents and that's what we were raised like and all those factors come to be. But the minute we turn to God, we don't have to live under those things anymore. God isn't saying, I'm going to curse you with those things. He's saying, I have a way out of those things. And sometimes I don't think we believe it, but I think we need to because I know we need to because the Spirit of God is more powerful than your upbringing, more powerful than my upbringing, more powerful than your genetic disposition. Oh, it's just who I am. Baloney. You don't have to be that way. You know? You're not an animal. He's more powerful than any sin that might be indwelling uh, in you. And just like the flood, when we come to Jesus, it's over. It is over. And I hope today that we'll see that the flood is over and that we'll see that Noah finds out that the flood is over. Let's go on in verse uh, 1. Verse 1 says, So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And we'll stop there for right now. Just again, God, we pray that you would bless us and speak to us and show us, God, how you are the way, the truth, and the life. And Lord, just as uh, like the song says, you're the breath in our lungs, God. You brought a flood that took the breath out of uh, everyone's lungs. You took the presence of yourself from everybody on earth, except for Noah and his family. And yet, God, you are you remain and you wanted people to repopulate. We're going to see that, God. So today, please fill us with your presence. And, uh, God, just breathe in us, God. We need a fresh breath from you, so to speak. And, uh, Lord, help us to come up for air. In Jesus' name, amen. But again, it says that God blessed Noah. God blessed Noah. Well, that's a huge thing, you know. It wasn't being in the ark a blessing. wasn't surviving the world catastrophic flood a blessing. wasn't the fact that his family was there, that he had a cool boat. You know, that's a blessing. Uh, I don't know, uh, except everything I hear from boat owners is that having a boat is not a blessing. <laughs> uh, uh, God bless you. Uh, someone did things. Thanks, Jacob. Uh, but Noah blessed God with his sacrifice. We saw in the last chapter that as Noah got out, he sacrificed those clean animals. And uh, it said it was a sweet smell and aroma to God. But God, in return, blesses Noah. The sacrifice goes up, and that's when God says, Ah, I'm never going to judge man again this way. Uh, and then this is when God begins to share it with him. Uh, in Matthew 5, 8, it says, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And James 4, 8, the first part, says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And I think we need to see that there is a blessing in sacrifice. That as we give praise to God, as we sacrifice to God, as we allow things to be turned over to him, that there's a blessing in that. A lot of times, if, you know, when you first get saved, you're like, I have to give up that? I don't want to give up that. That's so much fun. And maybe that's you now. Maybe that's me now. And I have to give up whatever show I'm, you know, like whatever show you're watching, whatever it is. You're like, there's no blessing in that. You don't have cable TV. You don't have all the thousand channels. You don't, you know, you don't go out and drink anymore. You know, you know all these things. You're like, where's the blessing in that? You go... There's a huge blessing in that. You know, we were joking when I would get lunch yesterday. And Ash was joking. He says, oh, look, it's 20% off a case of wine. And so that's nice. I can save 100%. <laughs> I don't have to buy a case of wine. You know, I see how much cigarettes are. $9 a pack. I used to smoke. Imagine $9 a day. That's crazy. <laughs> Give me $9 a day. I'll set something on fire for you. But uh, sincerely, there's a blessing in sacrifice. But I think if we aren't receiving the blessing from the Lord in our lives, I have to wonder, are we not making the sacrifice necessary to receive that blessing? Not that it's a work. Not that, that we go to work and we set something on fire, so to speak. Here, God, I burned it for you today. Are you happy? Give me a blessing. Not in that sense. That it's not a payment for our worship, because that's not how it works. That's not, that's not, if, it's, if it's a work to worship, it's not worship. It's something else. It's not a job or a reward or a paycheck either, but I believe that the sacrifice of worship, whether it's on an altar, whether it's in song, whether it's in being obedient to God, because that's the, the sacrifice he really wants is obedience, is an avenue to open up the lines of communication between an unholy man and a holy God. It's like in communication, you've got to have uh, the same type of device on either end of that line to talk. And if God's a holy device, so to speak, to really make this an unholy analogy, and, you know... <laughs> God's a smartphone, and where the old Alexander Graham Bell rotary phone, they're not going to talk. You know, you got to get the right lines of communication open between them. And that's not a really good picture. 
What I'm saying is that that happens through worship. That as we get into worship, God, we realize who God is. We say, God, you're right about things. I'm wrong about things. I'm sinful. You're holy. God goes, bam, that connection's made. You've just realized the truth there, that you're not, and I am. But I want you to be where I am. I want you to be with me. I want to talk with you. Even though you aren't like me, I want to make you like me. I want, uh, I want you to see me. But I think that that's really, I know that that's why the world can't receive the things of God. The Bible talks about that, uh, that the world can't understand the things of God. That the carnal man can understand, the flesh man can understand the things of God. And I think that part of that, really the root of that, is that they refuse to see God for who he is and don't treat him the way he deserves. If we don't see God for who he is and treat him the way he deserves, we'll never be able to understand him. We'll never be able to, uh, to come to grips with what he has to say for our lives. I mean, it goes to the ending. If you don't see your boss for who he is, you probably won't have a job for too long. When your boss tells you to do something, if you don't see him as your boss, you're going to go, no way. Why should I listen to you? And he goes, well, I'm your boss. <laughs> That's the job. I pay you. You do things for me. Same thing with the Lord. If we don't see him for who he is, how can we ever understand what he has to say? You know, Revelation 1, uh, 9 through 18, we won't read it for time, but I encourage you to read uh, Revelation chapter 1 later, we see John, the, the apostle, who used to lay his head on Jesus' chest after dinner, be like, oh, Jesus, I love you, you're great. When, he, when he's transported in a vision to heaven and he hears the voice behind him speaking, and he turns around to see Jesus for who Jesus really is, he says he falls down as if he was dead. This guy used to hang out on Jesus' chest, and now he's on the ground like he's dead. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's a great picture. We read it last night with the kids, you know. I think that too, that Noah too saw who God really was. Uh, Noah saw an all-powerful God who was capable of global destruction and also global creation. He knew that God created everything. We knew who uh, Noah's grandparents were. But that he was also intimate enough to sustain them in that boat. But even though God was all-powerful enough to destroy the whole world, he was also careful and close enough to Give no instruction and tell them to build the boat. And that's really the difference, I believe, between believers and the world. I mean, in the name, it's we believe. The world doesn't. That's the only difference between you and me and, you know, the person down the street is we believe God for who he is, and they don't. They don't. We've been forgiven of our sin, and they haven't. But it's just because we believe. I think, like I alluded to before, you know, that we really believe, I think a lot of times we think about belief. We think about, like, a cult, right? When you look at a cult, like, we were watching something about David Koresh, if you guys remember that cult leader in Waco, Texas, years ago, where they all believed he was, like, the Messiah. He was, like, an incarnation of Jesus or something. And we all look on and go, that's so silly. He's not really Jesus, you know, that's foolish. And yet they believe it wholeheartedly, right? I think sometimes we or the world look on at our faith and, and we look at it like, oh, we have to believe it, but, you know, it's not really true because no one else believes it, but we believe it to be true. It's what my viewpoint, it's my belief. Um, but that's not the case. We're not believing in a David Koresh here who everyone else at time goes, that's foolish because it is foolish. We believe in reality. And I believe that for us, the reason why we became believers is because we got to a point in our lives, like Saul on the horse, when God knocked him off, we got to a point where he said, man... If I don't believe this from now on, I'm making myself blind. I would have to be blind from now on to be an unbeliever because I've seen the truth. I know the truth. I know the way. And I know the life. And for me to not believe this would be believing a lie. Because we would have to choose to remain blind. And I think the world is either not seeing the truth and so they're blind by ignorance, or they've seen the truth. And I think like in America or in uh, Europe, Europe which is post-Christian, they thought they'd become so enlightened, but look what's happened. Islam is taking over Europe. And in fact, they're inviting it to take over Europe. Like this is something. That's what happens. You know, if, we're not, if we willfully turn away from the truth, and we think we're so enlightened, and we've gone our own way for a while, and Europe did its own thing for a couple decades, but eventually something else is going to move in. Some other belief system is going to move in. Um, in fact, we'll invite it in. And there's a whole other study you can do on, on that, not Islam, but as far as like spiritual things with that. But God is true, and that's why we believe him. We don't believe him because we want him to be true. We believe him because he is true. And Noah, Noah knew that firsthand. But I think that God blessed Noah by sharing 
what God purposed to do. And, you know, before we saw no worship, God came up with, you know, what he was going to do, or mentioned in the scripture what he was going to do, and now God shares it with Noah. And I know that God loves to share with us what he is doing. You know, we're not a stranger to him. We're not just a servant to him, like Jesus says. We're more than servants. We're his friends and his family, and he loves to share what he's doing with his friends and family. Um, God's not going to share with the guy down the street what his plan is for the future. I mean, he has in the Bible. I mean, it's like, I say this, and yet, in the grander scheme of things, God has shared with everybody with revealed scripture. But, I mean, there's no personal communication there. I think about my boss who's having a baby. Uh, him and his wife are having a, a third baby uh, next year. And he shared with me and probably one or two other people before he shared with everyone else, you know, when it was still early. And I think, you know, I feel really special that he would share it with me because I know that I'm his friend. You know, he's my boss in the work sense, first and foremost, but we have that personal relationship there where I would consider him a friend. And I'm really blessed to have that opportunity. And with that, I try not to take, you know, take advantage of that. I try to make sure that I keep him my boss. But that's the same with the Lord. He'll share stuff with us before the rest of the world knows about it. You know, he, no one knew about the flood before the rest of the world knew about it. Um, I think that's special. I think that's why my wife and I have been sharing with you guys what we've been going through the past couple of years and what we feel God is showing us for the next season in our life because you guys are our friends and family. And we don't want you to be in the dark because if we say we have this close relationship with you, then one day we pack up and move to Istanbul, which I don't think is going to happen. You know, you'd be like, why didn't you tell me? Well, sometimes people say that and you go, well... I couldn't trust you with it. Or we're not as close as you thought we were. Or sometimes, like, I wanted to, but you never listened. Or I did tell you, and you forgot, you know? That's kind of how you can kind of tell where a relationship is. Or maybe, oh, man, I thought I told you. I'm sorry I didn't tell you, you know? There's a whole lot of reasons there. But that does, God doesn't want it to be that way with us. He wants to know what's going on. He wants us to know what's going on with him. And in the blessing, God says, multiply and fill the earth. God reminds them, God reestablishes what he did in creation. He says, fill the earth, multiply. And he doesn't say to the animals first. He says it to Noah. In the beginning, God made every animal, and he told them to do it, and then he created man. God is making sure that man knows that man is the focus here uh, between God and man. But, you know, God destroyed the earth. You know, maybe he was just going to allow people to kind of populate, like, oh. But God wants to make it clear that, no, no, no. Everyone's gone, but I want people to be back. I want this place to be teeming with life again. You know, you had a party, and I had to break it up. I had to call the cops, but I want you to have your friends over next week. You know, you know they have your friends over again, um, so to speak. And I was listening. It's interesting. You know, we we're driving around yesterday. Uh, Ashley and I took separate cars because we had to go to different places first. Um, but in the cars, I sent a message. It wasn't a message. It was like a talk show, and they were talking about genetics and, uh, you know, the human race and all these things and, you know, this really cool stuff. But one of them he was talking about, and I never thought about this way before, obviously we have all this diversity, right, as far as, like, hair color, skin color, size, you know, all these things. Um, and, you know, that, that can be a hang-up for some people. But you realize that God just built all the perfect diversity into Adam and Eve. That God built that in there because he knew what the human race would look like. He says all the time through scripture, every nation, tribe, tongue, language, and people will worship him. God loves the diversity of people. God loves the different colors. God loves the different, you know, I don't know what Adam and Eve looked, but they were an amalgam of us all, and then over time we spread out and became pale and pasty and, you know, dark and whatever it is, you know, like, I don't know if that was the case over time or they looked different at the time, but it was all built in there. You know, these things aren't new. Uh, but I think just like anything, any work or any relationship, over time it begins to bud and blossom. You know, like before you know your wife, then you know your wife, and as you have a relationship for one year, two years, five years, and I'm assuming, you know, much longer, you know, there's things in your relationship that grow and blossom that weren't there. I think that's the same way genetically. That at the beginning, it wasn't all unpacked yet, but now it's been unpacked, and it's like this beautiful uh, bouquet, and God put it there, and that was there. So that basis for all of mankind um, is there. And again, that's not something, I think sometimes we have to, like, try and force ourselves to believe it, but it's so freeing just to go... This is true. It's not, it's not fake. It makes sense. In fact, it's, it's beautiful. You know, again, as far as restoration, uh, Jesus and Peter, after his denial, he restored their relationship with him. He said, feed my sheep. And the same, same thing with Noah. God's saying, it's okay. Go and fill. You know, be free. Go out and go have your family. 
go have a land, you know, go do this thing that you want to do. You know, because it, it wasn't just for Noah, so to speak. God wanted, I think I want to make it clear that he still wanted a relationship with humanity. That he wiped out all of humanity and saved Noah, but it wasn't just for Noah and his family anymore. It was for all of humanity, that humanity might be repopulated. Because God loves people. And let's go on, let's read 2 through 7. Uh, and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth and every bird of the air and all that move on the earth and all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. But you shall not eat flesh with, uh, eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it. From the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man. For whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. You know, as we see here in these verses that there are consequences and there are changes in life after the flood. Just like any great catastrophe, this life is usually never the same. Usually it's different. You know, we think it's September 11th and... You know, sometimes you'll watch a show and they'll have the Twin Towers in it and you'll remember what life was like before September 11th and you realize that life really was kind of different then. People had a different air about them before uh, it happened. Um, and th you know, shows that were successful before then probably wouldn't be successful anymore. Um, or we certainly wouldn't joke about the same things anymore. But there's consequences and changes. Number one, I think animals, I know, would fear and dread people. That that was a change. Um, Number two, man would no longer be just a vegetarian. You know, he'd still eat his broccoli, but he can now eat other things. But also three, God uh, makes sure that the death penalty is there, that there is a death penalty. But we'll start out with number one, that animals would fear and dread people. You know, it's interesting, it says fear and dread. You know, that there's fear, reverence, or terror. There's reverence as far as, you know, like you're revering a king or your boss. Uh, but it's also dread, you know, shattered or dismayed or terror. You know, that, oh, you're, they're terrorized. Um, you know, and I have to wonder, if this is the case now, what does that say about life before the flood? Was it a more friendly environment? You know, was it like uh, Mr. Bluebird on my shoulder? <laughs> you know, a bird comes lands on my shoulder? I don't know if it was like that, maybe. But I don't know that animals feared and dread man like they did before. Things were different. You know, they obviously got on the ark with no problem. I mean, yeah, was that a miracle in a sense? Yeah, absolutely, I believe so. Um, uh, but they also got along on the ark. They didn't eat each other. I think that, in a sense, could be a miracle too, but I think it's also a sign that things were a little different before the flood, um, at least as far as the way things worked. Um, maybe animals were, it's been summarized that maybe animals were only vegetarian before, and I've seen these things, but well, what about like large fangs? Well, they show like a fruit bat and these kind of things. So it's all sorts of studies you can get into that we're not going to get into uh, for the purpose of our study. Uh, but things can be different. I mean, the serpent hung out in the, in the tree of fruit and you know, there's something there, too. And again, I don't know that it was uh, like a movie, uh, but what does God say about heaven? What does God say about new heavens? That the lion will lay down the lamb. And I, I think in a sense that's uh, metaphorical, but I think also in a sense it's literal. That there's not going to be this violence that plagues the whole earth anymore. Um, you know, I think of, uh, I work in the basement, and I've got, you know, this half window if you've been down there. They can kind of see out, and I always take a picture like up into the trees because at least it gets sent outside. But animals always come by my window, like a woodchuck, birds of all types, like chipmunks and squirrels. But there's this real big squirrel, and I always try and take this picture, so I'm always like very slow. And then like I go trying to get my phone, and I turn back, and he's not there. You know, like he never wants me to get his picture. I got the woodchuck picture, I think, because he was, you know, like wasn't sure what was going on. But they're scared. They're skittish. The kids see an animal outside, they go, Oh, I want to hide the bunny. You know, the deer, they perk up, they see you. Um, you know, they feared us. You know, I think in a way it's because they suffered the consequence of human sin. Um, that all the animal kingdom uh, was destroyed. It's like almost like a bad zookeeper. Like, the zookeeper goes wrong, all zoo's going to suffer. Um, you know, they might have be skittish towards people after that. But I think also because, number two, because they were given for food for man, you know. I, I'd be afraid if I was a squirrel and go, is he going to eat me? What are they going to do? Are they going to eat me now? Like, I know they eat, you know, they eat me. They eat you. They eat Bob. They see Bob. They see that car. hit Bob. You know, like, they, I would be a little scared, too, and begin to run away. Um, I think it's interesting. Again, animals tend to be afraid of us, and yet we're still so interested in them. I wonder if there was maybe a little more of a mutual interest beforehand. 
and there, than there is now. Uh, you know, it's like when you have a pet. They know you're not going to eat them. They know you're going to take care of them, and they love you. You know, you have a relationship with an animal, you know. It's not the same as a human relationship, but it's, you know, it's about as good as it gets other than that. You know, you, you don't get a, you don't have a relationship with your couch like that, you know. The couch doesn't happen when you get home. <laughs> couch just sits there. But again, the earth, the environment changed after the flood. Number two, they were also given for food for man. You know, before it was probably more of a greenhouse effect. Plants were fuller, uh, you know, larger, more more nutrients and things. You know, they, so you can summarize, obviously we get all this radiation from outer space that the atmosphere was different or thicker or there was this covering that we might not receive much radiation. So more nutrients would be in there. Our bodies wouldn't be deteriorated different. So now we need to eat food. We need to eat animals. It doesn't say you have to, but if you want to, you can. Before you did. Um, but even then, I think also practically, they just got off the boat. I don't know how I don't know if you, but I don't want to eat moss. I don't want to eat like grassy things. So the cows probably start to look pretty good at this point. Um, I wonder who was the first one to like stick their fork in it. Which one of the brothers was like, "I'll do it." <laughs> um, you know, again, it'd be up in a while, a while again before they got a farm going. You know, I always think like, man, like it'd be great to learn how to farm, but you know, you think about again, like situation in Puerto Rico, with everything going on with the power outage, like. If the supermarket doesn't, it stops working and no one stopped, you stop getting food there, it's going to be a while before you have a potato. Like, it's going to take a while, even if you know, if you can grow a potato. Uh, who do you have a potato from? Is ham? Ah! Uh, all right, we're done here. <laughs> that was good. That was good. I don't know if you're even up for him. So I can take credit for all these jokes. My wife's gotten really good at this. It's really kind of scary. Um, <laughs> It's like anytime I tell a client, she's like, no, I've got a better way. Mm. <laughs> and she's right. She's right. But in a sense, God tells them to cook them. You know, he says, don't eat it with the, the blood in it. And that's why you shouldn't eat sushi. I'm just kidding. It just says don't eat it with the blood in it. You know, it doesn't have to say you cook it. But I think in my mind, the easiest way for me to know there's no blood in it is to cook it. There's no life left in it. Uh, because there's life in the blood and there's a picture there. Um, I think some of you might say about my cooking, there really is no life left in it. <laughs> uh, you know, I've heard my dad say, just char it on both sides. I want it still mooing when it comes to his steak. You know, so some of you still like still like that. So I encourage you to read this chapter. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just saying. You know, we see this Jewish law where they drain the blood out. See, there's a lot of diseases that way. It's good to cook certain foods all the way. We even see it with vegetables. If you cook vegetables too much, it takes all the nutrients and stuff out. But again, we live in a fallen world that's more fallen now. And so we need to have a more diverse diet to survive. But number three says that man's life is still sacred. And anyone who sheds it, sheds the life, must also face death. Whether that's animal or people. You know, you think of like a dog mauling. But an animal mauls a person and kills them, they should be put to death. You know, it's not, I don't care how cute the animal is, you really want to let it take another life. Um, I think that we need to show that human life is important. Or you think of a murder, you know, someone murders someone, you need to put it to death because human life is valuable. And whether it is or not, as far as a deterrent, you know, I think for most people, if, if the justice system was swift and the death penalty was sure for certain crimes, I think I would stay away from it. There's certain things like, oh, you know, we we're talking about prison there, and I like just the thought of it, you know, you don't think about it a lot. Um, and I think it would deter for somewhat, but I know that there's still pretty brazen people who are crazy out there who do it no matter what. In fact, probably do it to like try and evade getting caught. But even if not, that's not necessarily the point. Of, it's just averting crime. I think that's a side effect. I think the point is to show that life is valuable and that human life is valuable above all. Not that animals aren't valuable, but that human life is the most valuable. Um, and why? Because we're made in God's image. Because we're made in God's image. And we say, well, why would God say that after he just killed how many millions of people or how many people on the earth at that time? How can God do that? That's hypocritical. Why would God say that? What is God doing? Again, maybe we're not understanding God for who he is. Because if we don't know who he is, we're not going to understand what he says. And think about even in simple terms, in my job as a graphic designer, there's company brand logos and guidelines. I can't use this color. I have to use this color. Our logo can't be that close to another logo because then it looks like our company has a relationship with this company, and it's not, so sometimes you gotta put a line. You know, it's like all these little rules, how to use their logo and their colors and their brands to properly identify their company. Because if you don't, it's like one of our clients' main color is blue, and their main competitor is red. So we never use red in our designs because we never want people to see our advertising on our product 
get confused by the red and go to the store and buy the red product. You know, there's that, that guideline there. And they have every right to change it. One day they want to be purple, well, that's up to them. And then we follow those guidelines. I think it's the same way with God and man, because why? Just like the brand represent, the brand marketing and advertising matches the company and their values, so does man is made in God's image, is branded in the sense in God's image, and it's supposed to represent who God is and what God is about. So it's not up for us to say what color we should be or what way we should act or what way we should relate or what value we have because it's not up to us to decide that God already decided that. It's intrinsic in who we are. Um, and you see that the way the world is now. Man is trying to redefine man, even who's man and who's woman, who, what's up and what's down. Because we think that we're God and we don't think that there is God. But again, God reminds us of the command to multiply, and murdering isn't doing that. And so obviously, just on a practical level, you want to have more people, don't kill anybody. Um, you know, killing isn't doing that. You know, I think there, and again, does this mean there's no war? Well, I think, and again, that there is time for war, because if, in, in a bad way, if people are coming in and killing people or hurting people, then there's a time to fight back. But it's not an excuse to go out and be a conqueror. I think that's pretty obvious. But again, it's warning about the sanctity of life, and I think it's a hard topic when you think about the death penalty. But I think it's interesting that right on the back of that, God says a reminder to multiply. He says, don't kill each other. If someone dies, death penalty. But remember, multiply. Multiply. God always seals it back up with the blessing. And I think it's interesting, before we go on and read the next few verses, that the global thought right now is for less people. If you study different things and what the global idea is for even global warming and for the environment and for global policy, it's for less population. Because people are hindering the earth. People are a scavenge on the earth. I'm not saying that everyone treats the earth right, but essentially the mindset is if you look at the real elites, that they would like to see less population. Um, this also idea for vegetarianism, that don't eat meat. Meat is murder. It's interesting, because God says to eat meat. And again, if you, do, if you don't want to eat meat personally, you're affected by that, then that's fine. I'm not saying you have to. But it's interesting that this is sort of the, the global mindset there. And I'm not saying you're under the spirit of the Antichrist if you want to be a vegetarian. But I'm talking about the global mindset. Uh, also, global mindset for no death penalty. Have you read that somebody wants to get rid of all prisons? Because it's an institution, a racist institution. I'm like, well, maybe there is reform that needs to be made, but get rid of prisons? I don't know what planet you're living on. You know, but is it even a question where this mindset comes from? I mean, it's obviously not God's mindset. It's obviously not God's mindset. Let's go on, verse 8-11. It says, Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, As for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, and all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I will establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the whole but it says here you know we saw at the beginning of this chapter that God first blessed them that he says so God blessed Noah and he spoke to them now it says that God speaks to them that God pronounced the blessing but now again he speaks to them he speaks to them about something different here and again I still think it's kind of under a heading of a blessing as we see in verse 1 but I think in a way that we can kind of separate these two things where one is the blessing and now is sort of a commandment, or now is sort of a directive. Um, you know, because the blessing was new and continued life. And it says here that the word for speaking, it means the command to promise to intend. And I believe, you know, the blessing was to say to multiply, but the covenant and the command that we read here is about to assure them that the flood is not going to happen again. That I bless you to multiply, but don't worry. Don't cower. Don't live under the thought that I could flood you at any moment because I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to show you that I promise not to. Um, you know, they didn't have to live this life of fear. You know, the animals lived under fear of man. Animals lived under the dread of man. And God says, just because that's the way they are under you doesn't mean that's the way you are under me. That you can come to me. You can approach me. And I'm not going to try and eat you. Um, but essentially, that, that man's sin affected animals in that way. You know, that's why judgment came. But God doesn't have any sin. So God doesn't have this like thing that's going to be upon us from his actions. He doesn't want us to, to cower in fear uh, in that way or run away from. 
And again, I think here that this is sort of like a legal proceeding. Like I was saying, this is the way it's going to be. This is my covenant with you, my legal contract with you, that I'm going to uphold. As we'll see, they don't have to do anything. He's just saying, this is just the facts. This is the way it's going to be. Um, you know, if we're to strip away all personality from it, you know, it could be like a legally document. But God says, I will establish my covenant with you. That God's going to establish his own covenant. It wasn't man's idea. God didn't sit down with man and say, hey, let's work this out. Let's get a plan so we can get along. God in himself said, I want to do this for them. That I want a covenant with them. I want a covenant with them, whether they like it or not. It's kind of like my kids. I want to promise them that I, you know, I didn't sit down with them when they were born and said, well, we're going to make sure you got a house over your head, you got food in your belly, you got fun things to do and watch and learn, and we're going to take care of you. No, it's just, these are my kids, this is what I'm going to do for them. I think it's the same way for God. Like, it's not dependent on them. You know, when they're 18 and they want to be knuckleheads, well, they can go be knuckleheads on their own, you know. <laughs> but sincerely, I'm going to, you know, you know how it is. It's the same way with God. He's not, he doesn't hold us to any end of the bargain. If Mia acts up, I'm not going to take her clothes away. I'm not going to take her food away. That's the same way with God. Uh, well, she's under my roof. Even when she's not, I'll do my best to make sure it's not needed. But Noah and his sons, all they had to do for this covenant, they just had to receive it. They just had to sit there and listen to God for a minute, talk for a couple minutes and tell them. I think sometimes that's all we have to do. We just have to take the time to sit down and say, God, what would you say for me? And God's like, i got a covenant for you. You don't have to do anything. Isn't that great? <coughs> Fantastic. Because usually when we sit down with someone, someone says, we need to talk, you got to do something. Your boss calls you in, hey, can we have a meeting later? You know, that's why everyone hates meetings. Because it means you got to do something. Yeah. You know? you got to sit in a room with a bunch of people and talk about stuff you don't want to do. <laughs> and then you got to go do it. That's why no one likes meetings. I know. Even if, it's, you know it's like, even if the project sounds exciting, you know at some point it won't be anymore. But never again, he says, will all things die in a flood and the whole earth will be destroyed by it. You know, even if it possibly could happen again, even if all the floodwaters could somehow come out and cover the whole earth, God says, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to allow that. Um, and God says that he's not going to do that and allow it. And then he goes on to say, here's the proof that I'm not going to do that. Here's the thing that I want you to remember. And so let's read 12 through 17. He says, and God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud, and I will remember I'm making this emphasis to, to stick out. But I don't know if I ever noticed it before. In verse 10, I'm sorry. He says, and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow, rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. You know, God makes a promise to them in the beginning, to just them, to be fruitful and multiply, and God now assures them that it's for everybody, for all flesh on the earth, to him and his descendants, and to all the animals. But he says, I will set a rainbow, and I will remember. You know, I think it's interesting. I always thought of the rainbow as something for us to look and remember God's covenant. But it's also, uh, it's really, the rainbow is God's rainbow, in a sense, for God to remember. Not like God would forget. But when we look up and we see the rainbow, it's, just, it's not this impersonal just for us to remember, and God has nothing to do with it. We look up and we can look at the rainbow and remember that God is looking at that same rainbow. And God even put the rainbow there after the clouds to remind us that he's not going to bring judgment. You know, and rainbows are beautiful. Driving on the highway, and I remember coming up the thruway after work sometimes, and there's huge rainbows, and everyone would like slow down, and it would just be bright, and you know, trying to take the picture and drive, how dangerous that is. But it's amazing. I never thought of it that way. You know, it's, it's for us to remember that He's not going to judge us with the rain anymore, that this storm, and everything is over. That this storm happened not as a curse, but as a blessing. That the rain as a whole, yeah, there's, there's damaging storms, there's things that we wouldn't consider a blessing, like a hurricane or something. But on a whole, the, the weather is here to bless us, to bring cool breeze, to, to feed the plants, to feed the animals, to wash things. It's not a sign of judgment. Again, I think it's interesting how normally we view rain as a bad thing. You know, I think it's this whole not remembering that, you know, it's this whole like, memory of the flood and, and not really seeing God for who he is. And with that, I think that storms will happen, but that they're not necessarily the direct judgment of God. A lot of times people come out and say, this storm hit because America did this, or 
this storm hit this city because this city is wicked. And Well, it is, but there are believers there. But God doesn't want to necessarily bring judgment in that sense. I think that, number one, they're really a consequence of a fallen world. Um, you know, and number two, it's like, well, maybe you shouldn't have built your house by the seashore. Like, <laughs> in the first place, maybe you should have built it up in the mountain. Intense. Uh, but if we remember that Jesus calmed the wind and the rain, right? He went out there and he calmed it. Um, so it, that could have been a spiritual storm. That Jesus had to tell the storm to settle down. Maybe it wasn't God's doing to bring that storm about. You know, Satan destroyed Job's livelihood with weather. And God allowed him to do that. You know, again, that if weather is unnatural, it could necessarily be the enemy wreaking havoc on a place because the enemy hates the city. Even though people think that God hates them, it's really the enemy that hates them. And maybe God's allowing it for a season. And I don't want to get too many of these things because they're too, like, they're inconsequential. But we need to know the enemy loves to destroy things and then blame God for it. So a storm comes through, people say, where is God and all that? God didn't do that to you. God is here with you. That rainbow, God is trying to remind you that even though this may have happened in your life, God doesn't want to bring worse judgment on you. But the enemy does want to bring judgment on you. You know, this rainbow, it's a sign of the covenant between man and the earth, you know. Between God and the earth and man. You know, it's like from earth to earth, it goes up to heaven and comes back down, that it covers us. That it's for everyone to see. It's not this hidden thing. You know, we can see it after the storm. And the rainbow itself is the sign. I think we need to remember that, that hey, we don't need to worry about these things because the rainbow itself exists. That didn't necessarily rain before, but now it rains and uh, you know it said that the earth used to be watered from the ground. But this is a sign of God's covenant. It's a sign. We can see it. You know, we're not to seek after signs and wonders, but sometimes God gives us physical things to look at and say, yeah, I can remember that God's not going to judge me anymore. We can look back. I think it's healthy to look back in our life, especially after a storm in our life, to look back and look for that rainbow that God has put in that storm. Maybe there's something that someone said, maybe something shared with us, maybe something good. You can see something good come out of it, even though it was a dark time in your life, that we need to look for those things and remember that God does not mean these things to destroy us, but he means them um, to bless us. And I think also it's very telling that the world nowadays, among everything else, uses the sign of God's promise not to judge them to represent things that really do deserve judgment. Um, that, that represent blatant sin against him, that represent a blatant breaking down of God's design for man and God's will for man and who man is and, and the really definition of who man and woman are. And people do that and they fly it in the face of God. Even churches will fly uh, the rainbow in, uh, in the face of God. And yet, God looks down and doesn't judge us for it. You know, Genesis 8, 21 and 22, God knew that they would do that. It says, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Like we read last week, that God knew, even though we're still going to sin and going to blow it, God's not going to bring that kind of judgment again. Because, you know, we talk about no grace in the Old Testament. I think that's huge grace. And God says, even though you're, I know you're going to blow it, I'm still going to give you a covenant. I'm still going to give you grace. I'm still going to give you a sign to look at. Even if you take my sign and you twist it, spit back in my face. I'm not going to judge you with that. And I know that's not like me. I'd say, what? I gave you that, and then you use it to attack me? I'd be like, all right, let's, let's get this on, you know? <laughs> Thankfully, that's not God. You know? And I believe that God, I know, and I believe that God loves to make covenants where all we have to do is believe and remember. Ones where he will look upon the sign of his covenant and not bring it again, uh, despite our future actions. You know, Romans 10, 8 through 11, says, what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God is raised from the dead, you will be saved. Um, you know, the heart of one believes in the righteousness, you know. Um, and Luke 22, 14, 20 says, When the hour had come, he sat down, and the twelve apostles with him. He said to them, With fervent desire, desire to this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is now the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. You know that God did this and made this covenant with us, knowing that we'd still sin. 
knowing that, like Romans says, that he loved us when we were yet sinners, that we would still come against him. Even after coming to faith in him, we would still blow it. But he, in that, he wants us to remember. I think the same thing with the rainbow. We remember, oh, God doesn't want to judge me. God wants to bless me. Um, that we need to remember. You know, Hebrews 12, 8, 12, talks about him being merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins. And of all his deeds, I'll remember no more. He says, the new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now it is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. He's talking about the law. And just as we remember that the rainbow is good, and it means that a flood is not going to judge us, a global flood is not going to judge us, we need to remember that we have a better covenant than that. The rainbow is one thing, but Jesus is the real fulfillment of that covenant. You know that just as God looks on the rainbow and says, I'm not going to bring judgment anymore, God looks on Jesus and says, I'm not going to bring judgment anymore. There, there doesn't need to be more judgment in your life and my life that was already taken on the cross. When God deals with our sin on the cross, he looks at Jesus on the cross. He doesn't look at you and me. And because he doesn't look at you and me, we don't need to cower around. We don't need to live under a burden anymore because there's none there. It's been taken. If we put it on ourselves, that's why Jesus says, if you're heavy laden, weary, come to me and I'll give you rest because I'm going to take off that stuff that doesn't need to be there. I'm going to take it all away because I already did take it away. And all you have to do when you start feeling burdened, when you start feeling downcast or uh, worried about judgment, you know, maybe you feel convicted in a sense, come to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. Because all we have to do is remember. That's it. You know, not that the remembering, like, does anything for us as far as salvation, but it reminds us that we are saved and that we are free. And that is as easy as saying, God, I've sinned. Please forgive me. Please wash it away. You know, if you just murdered someone and you you say that to God, he'll forgive you, but you still got to go to jail. But sincerely, hear it out that, that God loves us, God forgives us, and that there's no more burden of judgment in our lives. And the world is under the burden of judgment. That's why the world is so sensitive about everything, because the burden is so heavy on them. The weight is so heavy on them. You know, just like an injured animal. When we're hurting, we snap out. That's, the world is hurting. And it's obvious. So as we uh, close here, take communion together and we'll just simply uh, remember God's covenant with us.